0: As most of you, I'm sure, know, I was preaching through the book of James, and I want to continue that. I want to still have a goal of finishing finishing that book, so I want to continue in James. I was up to James chapter 5. <clears throat> I will be preaching through James uh, 7 to 11 I had initially, but I think I'll actually uh, include verse 12 as well. <clears throat> Let's just pray one more time. Dear God, I just want to uh, ask again that uh, you would, by your Holy Spirit, guide us this morning, that you would direct us, that you would um, help us to glean from your word, from the and, uh, specifically the book of James this morning, Lord, some truths that we can apply to our lives. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom and uh, encouragement to do so. And uh, we pray this for your honor and glory. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> So I want to recap James a little bit for us, um, remind us who he was, what the book of James is about, so probably about the first half of my message will be mostly recapping. So um, we're going to start with um, who James was, and James is believed to be the half-brother of Jesus, Um, and so to look at that a little bit, we're going to read in Matthew 13. We're going to go to Matthew 13, and we're going to read verses 53 to 57. Actually, uh, Pastor Mike inspired me to use my preacher's Bible this morning, so I'm going to be reading out of the NASB version this morning. I've had this Bible since I went to the Shepherds Conference in 2017, I believe, and this is the first time I'm be using it for preaching. So I'll be reading Matthew 13:53 to 57. <clears throat> so when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from there. He came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue so they were astonished and they said where did this man get this wisdom and these miracle miraculous powers is not this the carpenter's son is not his mother called mary and his brothers james and joseph and simon and judas and his sisters are they not all with us where then did this man get all these things and they took offense at him but jesus said to them a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household And so Jesus comes to his own hometown and he's teaching there and he is not um, being received very well there by the people in his hometown and even in particular his own home. In verse 57 it actually says that they took offense to his teaching. But in verse 54 it says that they were also astonished, meaning that they were surprised or amazed at what he was teaching because they were looking at him as the son of Mary, the carpenter's son. They were not looking at him as the son of God. And uh, so just like James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, um, they they were looking at Jesus as Mary's son instead of the son of God. And James, of course, being mentioned there as a brother. And so again, in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, it is also written that James was a brother to Jesus. And also um, Judas... Uh, not Judas Iscariot, but Judas was also a brother of Jesus who wrote the book of the Bible that's called Jude, the first, the one chapter book just before Revelation. And so I've found it interesting when you read the book of Jude, Jude introduces, or he opens his letter as Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. And so James opens his letter um as james a bond servant of god and the lord jesus christ and so it seems that james was a figure in the church he was well known and um he was well known to the fact that judas figured it would be worth mentioning that he was a brother of james when he opened his letter as reference because the church seemed to know who james was so when judas was writing his letter he referenced his brother james so that they knew who he was. James was considered a pillar in the church, uh, along with Peter and John, and that is what Paul called them in his letter to the Galatians. In Galatians 2, verse 9, Paul says, James, Peter, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave their right hand of fellowship to Paul and Barnabas to go to the Gentiles with the gospel. So another place where we see the involvement of James is As a pillar in the early church is found in Acts chapter 15. And Acts chapter 15 is the account that was written to Jerusalem, or um, written of Jerusalem council that met to make a decision based on um, uh, whether or not circumcision was required uh, for the gospel for the Gentiles. So whether or not it was a necessary part for their salvation. There had been those who had been preaching that to them. And it became a burden to them to have to be circumcised. And it was James that stood up according to Acts 15 verse 13 and made a suggestion to the council to write a letter to the Gentiles who, and who turned to God and tell them to abstain from things, he said, polluted by idols, from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. But he made no mention of circumcision. And then, in fact, the letter goes on. The, the letter that they wrote according to 15 verse 28 says, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, and to us, to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. And so circumcision was not cr- considered an essential for salvation, and it was looked at as a burden. And so we also see the influence here that James had uh, on the early church, and not even just the early church, but even on the council, on the, uh, the, the leadership of the early church. And James, or Paul, was one who saw James as a pillar in the church, and so. But we also know that James was not always convinced of his half brother, Jesus as Lord. He was um, he was probably skeptical. Obviously, um, as we even read in verse fifty seven of, uh, actually I'll get there in a little bit. But in John chapter seven, we read how Jesus's brothers urged him to go to the feast of tabernacles. So Jesus was already being sought for by the scribes and Pharisees at this point. He was being um, sought for because they wanted to kill him. He was an offense to them. The Feast of the Tabernacle would have been a great Jewish gathering uh, where all the scribes and the Pharisees would have been coming together for this um, religious event. And so that would have been a prime place for them to, to find Jesus and to kill him if that was their motive. And so the motive between for his brothers to urge him to go there is not very clear. Um, John MacArthur's commentary says, Jesus' brothers wanted him to put on a display of his miracles. Although the text does not clearly state their motivation, perhaps they made the request for two reasons. They wanted to see the miracles for themselves to determine their genuineness, and they may have had similar crass political motives as did the people, namely that he would become their social and political messiah. Jerusalem's acceptance of him was to be the acid test for them as to whether his own family would believe him as messiah. So in John 7 verse 4 they encouraged him to go show himself to the world and in verse 5 it says that even his own brothers did not believe in him. And so then again, yeah, Matthew 13, verse 57, which we read, uh, Jesus uh, said a prophet was without honor in his own household. Um, so he mentioned he, with a, he was without honor in his, own vi- in his own town and his household. So in particular, his household, he was not accepted. And that would refer to his brothers and sisters, I'm sure. But when we consider that James would have seen many of the signs and wonders that Jesus Christ has done, had done, and even having been a witness to so much of his life, but yet he was not convinced at that time. And, um, but we read in 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll just go there for a second, 1 Corinthians 15, and I'll read from verse 1 to 7. Paul writes, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more, he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. But some have fallen asleep. And he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And so Jesus revealed himself to his brother James. Um, He was... So James mentioned here in verse 4 would have been convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. At this point, James would have realized that um, he was real and he was... The real deal. So, Jesus revealed himself to his brother James, and then James goes on to be a pillar in the church. So, being an eyewitness of his half-brother who had made these claims would have convinced him that Jesus really was Lord and Savior. So, James is the author, and who does he write to? James writes his letter to the 12 tribes, according to James 1.1. And so, we see... He's not writing to one church or one congregation. He didn't... Paul's letters are sometimes addressed to a certain church in a certain town. But James is uh, a more broad definition. He says, to the 12 tribes who are scattered abroad. So he's um, he's not addressing maybe one certain issue in a certain town, but he's uh, addressing things that would be common in all churches and in all believers. And that would anybody that would be receiving this letter could read this letter, and and apply it to to themselves. And the letter is believed to have been written between 44 and 49 AD. This is based on um, the fact that James was a part of the council mentioned in Acts 15, and yet he makes no mention to that whatsoever in his letter. That's what scholars say. There is some different views on as far as when it was written, but this um, appears to be the most common view amongst many scholars. And so because of the date, it's believed to be possibly the first letter written um, of the New Testament canon. James makes it very clear in verse 1 of chapter 1 that he is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as a servant to God and Jesus, um, he calls Jesus Lord. And as a servant or a slave to someone, uh, a person works from that person, our Lord, would have been a common language used by slaves by a slave to his master. A bond servant is someone who has been bought, bought with a price, and it takes full ownership of such a person, and that is how James describes himself. He describes himself as a servant independent to his Lord for all his days. <clears throat> James is sometimes thought of as a contradiction to what Paul teaches. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we are saved by grace through faith, as we heard last week from Pastor Mike, um, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. James uh, says in chapter 2, verses 14 to 17, What use is it then, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them the nece- what is necessary for the body. What use is that? Even so, faith without works is dead, being by itself. And so, people tend to get hung up um, here. Um, it can easily, we can easily focus on on Paul's letters alone and never think about the works that proceed from a heart that has been regenerated. Or, on the other hand, we can get focused on James's letter that we can put. Uh, We end up putting faith into our works instead of into Christ. And this can become a religious church. James is by no means undermining Paul's message of grace through faith. James is simply showing us what it will look like when true saving faith takes root in our hearts. And when God has made us alive, again, like we heard last week, it changes our actions, it changes our attitudes, it changes the desires of our hearts. Um... James is simply saying that if if true saving faith has taken root in your heart, there will be some evidence of that in how we live. And actually, Pastor Mike touched on that last week as well uh, in Ephesians 2 verse 10 when he said, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are to walk in them. And another passage I came across as I was preparing this message was in Matthew Um, I want to read Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine... And does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So those who hear the words um, and act on them, so so building on the right foundation, building on godly character, based on a on the true change of heart that comes from grace through faith. Versus religious acts of works and relying on them for eternity, putting faith into our works. It can so easily happen from a religious perspective to put faith into our works. And um, that would be like building on sand. It has no power to withstand the storm or the judgment. Our works, our foundation is simply Christ and Christ alone that comes through grace, by grace, through faith. And we are to build on that and to build. Um, so, Paul Paul is laying the foundation. James is talking about the building on top of that foundation. This should really cause us to examine ourselves. And I know it has done so for me. So, we can read through the book of James and we can examine our hearts and our lives and see if our house that we are building really reflects the foundation that we claim to be building on. A house built on the foundation of being saved by grace through faith, will reflect a godly life, and that should match up with godly character traits we find in God's Word. So a house built on a religious foundation or a house built on a workspace foundation will always reflect the person doing the work. Uh, Grace always reflects the giver, and so our salvation is based on grace, and it must always reflect Christ so as we read through the book of James, uh, we should evaluate ourselves to see if we truly live out the effect the gospel should have on our lives. And so there's some review of the book of James. And today we want to look at James chapter 5, verses 7 to 12, and we will be talking about patience. We will hopefully see how practicing patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit within us. Patience is a result of being saved by God. And... We're going to read. I'm going to just read starting at uh, chapter 5, verse 1. We'll read to verse 12. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire in the last days that you have stored up your treasures. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you Cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived lux- luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death a righteous man. He does not resist you. Therefore, starting in verse 7, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren of suffering and patience, take the prophet who spoke the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your eyes, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. So, we see from the first part of chapter 5 that the believers are living under persecution, and in particular, they are living under the oppression of the rich. And James is writing to the persecuted churches, and here he is continuing to encourage them not to give up in hard times, not during trials of any kind. As believers, they are to remain patient during these times. And so, God, so what does godly patience look like? Patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble or suffering without getting angry or upset. That is according to the dictionary. Patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble or suffering without getting angry or upset. John MacArthur says, patience involves self restraint that goes, that does not retaliate reactively. Patience involves self restraint that does not retaliate reactively. And so patience is to be a fruit of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Uh, Galatians says that fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, etc. Patience is not a work of the flesh. There are many people um, in this world who display patience, even if they are not believers. But James is not talking about uh, any kind of patience here. He's talking about the kind of patience that is required when we are being persecuted. When we are being hated, because of our love for Christ, patience that would be as a result of being made alive by Christ. Patience that would be required if the world were persecuting us. No matter how dire it may get, we are called to be patient. Albert Moeller wrote an article for Table Talk magazine that was dated back to November eleventh, twenty fifteen. Um, if you ever want to look that up, that would be that's a great read, and I would encourage you to do so. He says that patience is is a critical test of Christian authenticity. Patience is a critical test of Christian authenticity. So if we look um, at the book of James as a book of tests for the believer, then we can see how this would be so. Then we can understand why James would mention patience as a work that would be as a result of the Holy Spirit at work within us. Another thing Albert Moeller says is patience is not optional for the Christian patience is a fruit of the spirit and we also know that patience is a command in scripture paul says in ephesians 4 going back to the letter to ephesians from paul in chapter 4 he says therefore i the prisoner of the lord implore you to walk in a manner in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience showing tolerance to one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so this follows uh this is following in Paul's letters. Um he's in in chapter two, uh like we heard last weekend, we heard the gospel, and then in chapter three he talks about Paul talks about his stewardship, how he what he did with the gospel, um how he handled the gospel that was given to him. He was given to him for the sake of the Gentiles according to uh, Ephesians 3, verse 1. And then in chapter 4, he says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, which is in all humility, gentleness, and patience, showing tolerance to one another in love. And I think we can all testify to Paul's patience when we would read through his letters, his display of patience that he would have shown time and time again. Colossians three twelve says, So as those who have been chosen of God... Holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And again, referring to Albert Morler, I think uh, I really appreciated what he wrote about it. Um, he says, Paul illustrates the necessity of patience by pointing to conflict in the Christian community. According to Paul, if one Christian has a complaint against another, he is to respond with patience, willing to suffer loss, rather than to injure the reputation of the church. And that really hit me. We are um, entrusted with the gospel. We have been given the gospel, um, and we are to be stewards of it the way Paul was. And we are to do it with patience. Patience is just one of the many character traits that will separate the church from the world. And we have a reputation to uphold when we have been given the gift of life. And so instead of defending ourselves every time someone has a complaint against us, we should use extreme care not to damage the reputation of the church. And one of the ways of doing that is by being patient. Again, when we look back uh, to the book of James, he says, Be patient until the coming of the Lord. They are being used, they are being taken advantage of by others, in particular uh, the rich in chapter 5, and James calls them to be patient. Don't overreact. Remember, you are the bride of Christ, and we have a reputation to protect. Think of the damage that can be done to the reputation of the believers or the church and the gospel by a person who does not practice patience. James compares this patience to the farmer. He says, The farmer has no choice but to wait for the rains. A farmer seeds his crop. Um, He mentions the early and the latter rains, it's believed that in Jerusalem they had to wait for the early rains so the ground was soft enough so they could even put the seed in the ground, and then they had to wait for the later rains in order for the seed to germinate and grow a crop. Um, But a farmer seeds a crop, and he has no crop without rain. He must patiently wait for rain to come. The farmer must, must wait on God who provides rain. And I realized how much patience I lacked when we still lived on the farm <laughs> i when When the crops were growing, I had a crop share. I it wasn't even my crop. I was just a crop share. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I would look out every day and I was like, "Man, is it growing?" And then like you never see anything grow if you watch it so closely, right But I was watching it every day, and I was checking the forecast, looking for rain, I was looking for sun when it was time to harvest and And when the sun came and it was dry and the combines weren't there and I was impatient because the combines weren't there and I found out I did not have the patience of a farmer. I was very impatient. So James says that the farmer waits. As the farmer waits, you too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. But he does not just say to be patient. He says strengthen your hearts. So why would we need to strengthen our hearts? Because the coming of the Lord is near, we don't have time to waste worrying about things that are out of our control. As believers, we live in the hope of Christ's return. We want to establish and strengthen our hearts and look forward to the coming of Christ. We have an eternal hope that should help us to look at our earthly struggles or trials or persecutions as temporal, and it provides a way for us to look beyond. What we are dealing with, whatever it may be, this too shall pass. He says in the last part of verse 9, the judge is standing right at the door. I like the wording that the, the NASB uses here. He's standing right at the door. And it reminds me of Revelations chapter 3, verse 20. Um, it should speak to us. It's a warning, but also, in this case, James as a motivation to the believer. Be patient. Motivation to be patient and to trust God in our trials. Christ is right at the door. His return is imminent and it is coming soon. And this life is but a vapor. And so we look forward to that. He says, Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. And so we are called to endure with one another and not complain. We can spend so much time focusing on what others are doing or saying And it takes away valuable time that should be rather spent strengthening our hearts, focusing on Christ and His return, waiting, anticipating our life with Him in eternity instead of so much focus on now. Endure all things, be patient, waiting on the Lord. And the other thing, God, He puts people into our lives to contribute to our sanctification. Sometimes it's the very people maybe that God has given put into our lives to contribute to our sanctification that we have the least amount of patience with. We believe in God's sovereignty. And so then we should also believe it is God who allows these things to be. And that was a turning point for me this past summer. I spent a lot of time in anger and disappointment and hashing things over in my mind over and over and and always, again, um, agitating the anger or the disappointment in me until one day God allowed me to see that nothing can happen without him allowing it to. He could have stopped it. He could have said no. So he could have, he could have done it very differently. Um, it's not, um, nothing happens unless God allows it to. And uh, if it wasn't uh, his desire to allow it to happen, he would have stopped it. And so that became a turning point for me. And if God, um, that helps us to overlook the past. We can look beyond because our hope is in Christ. It's in the future. It's in the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and our, and our future and our hope to be with Him. Um, that should motivate us to look beyond. It doesn't mean we always understand. We don't understand how things happen and why things happened. Um, but I do trust Him. With it, and it allows me to be patient and to wait on Him and not on man. And uh, maybe for the purpose of preparing me for this very message. John MacArthur's Biblical Doctrine uh, Systematic Theology book he writes in their Patience involves self restraint that does not retaliate reactively, it endures injuries inflicted by others without the need of revenge and willingly accepts irritating and painful situations. I will just read that again because I think it's worth reading again. Patience involves self-restraint that does not retaliate reactively. It endures injuries inflicted by others without the need for revenge and willingly accepts irritating or painful situations. James goes on to say, As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. And he says, we count them blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. The Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. And so we have many examples throughout Scripture, many more throughout history of men and women who have patiently endured this world by fixing their eyes on Christ and not allowing the world to or persecution from the world to get them down or discouraged from doing what God has called them to do many of whom have been martyred for their faith. And that led me to uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, Very familiar to everybody, um, but I thought we should read it. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, And the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Who for the the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has entrusted, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. So that you will not, not grow weary and lose heart. And... So may that be our motivation. May that be our motivation to practice patience. So many who have gone before us and endured such hostility from the world. And yet with patience they endured, and even unto death in many cases. But God is full of compassion, and He is merciful, and He showed us even in the story of Job the outcome of Job's endurance. Job was blessed with so much more than he had ever had before his trial started. And that won't even come close to the comparison that he would have received in glory. I don't mean uh, a long list of possessions. I mean simply being able to be in the presence of God without shame or guilt and just to know that this is where his eternity would be spent. It would, his all his possessions, the long list that was mentioned in the book of Job would not have even been a thought, I'm convinced. Jesus endured the cross. He endured the worst possible hostility that anyone could ever experience and yet he did so with patience, knowing what was set before him and that should motivate us to practice patience. Every single one of us could look in the mirror and see how patient God has been with us and still continues to be with us. I can for myself. And when we struggle with patience, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves and to remind us Of that patience that Christ had. There is nothing that will remind us more of his patience than simply the gospel. And we need to preach it to ourselves daily. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. Talk about patience. He is being very patient with those who do not believe. He is being very patient with the sanctification process in our lives. And may we look to him as our hope, as our motivation to be patient and long-suffering. And then James finishes this section off with but. But above all, and this is why I decided to include this verse. Um, He says, Above all, above all of this, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall into judgment. And so he is addressing again our speech here. John MacArthur says, Our speech gives the people around us a glimpse into our spiritual condition. And so our our speech is what will very often give away our lack of patience. It is very often displayed in how we speak. James spent a lot of time warning against the tongue in this short letter. He, here he says again what he said in, in verse 1 verse 26, or 1 verse 26, 2 verse 12, and then obviously in chapter 3 he addresses the untamable tongue and how it can start a massive fire from just a little spark. So James again warns against the dangers of our speech and how it is to be honorable and truthful at all times. Not talking, not beating around the bush, not talking around the bush, or, but yes, be yes. We all know not to trust someone who always says, I'm not lying, or I promise, or I swear. The fact that someone has to put that disclaimer in whenever they have something to share or say is enough for me to have red flags. So I'm convinced when we practice patience, it will also reflect how we use our tongue for speech. This is not how the believer is to be known. May we look to Christ as our example for patience and wholesome speech. May we have an eternal perspective every time we go through a trial. Let's pray. Dear God, we, um, I thank you personally for the letter of James and uh, even for what it has um, helped me to see this week, God, uh, my, my own lack of patience. I pray, Lord, that you would help me with that. And I know my speech has not always reflected that. And I pray for your forgiveness. And I pray, God, as a church, that as we go forward, there's so many things happening and so many excitement, exciting things going on, Lord, and we are, we are thrilled to see what you're doing. Um, but I pray that you would help us to practice patience, even in this very time. Help us to patiently wait on you to seek you out in every aspect of every decision Um, help us to patiently spend time in prayer waiting for clear direction um, and help us to patiently seek your word for those answers God I pray for patience for, for myself and for all of us as a body of believers gathered here this morning I commit it To you, Lord, for your honor and glory and for your use. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.